Mark, what do you feel makes good marketing? I think it's just being connected with all the different things you're doing because it's really easy to just create, 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 and not really think about how does this all add up. So I think good marketing is providing value, building trust, but in the areas that match up with your products. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 639. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. Listeners, if you've been with me for a while, well, you've already gotten used to my bloopers and there was one for you, but you've perhaps heard episode number two, which was my first ever guest episode. And in that episode, Mark Mason and and I were chatting about influencers and about building a small business, building relationships. And Mark reminded me before we even hopped onto that call, because I was actually in awe of having him on the show with me that everybody that you hear, everybody that you listen to on podcasts are just people. I'm a person. Our guest today is a person. Mark Mason is just, and I don't mean just in a bad way, but just a person. We are all approachable. Back then though, I was just in awe. I need to eliminate that word just from my vocabulary. I was in awe because I had been listening to him for such a long time and following him on social media that in order, that actually having a conversation with him blew me away. Well, today's guest is no different, although we have been able to form a friendship since I first became introduced to him way back when, probably 2012, 2013. Our guest today is Mark Guberti. I didn't even ask you, Mark, if that's the proper way to pronounce You got your it last perfect. Name. Oh my gosh. Okay, good. <laughs> So when we're talking, I mean, it's not like I say, hey, Mark Guberti, when you and I are talking, it's, hey, Mark, how are you doing? You know? Yeah, I guess so it's that. like, how do I pronounce your last name? No. <laughs> so when I started my business in 2012, I, re- I jumped onto Twitter pretty early because that's where I thought I needed to be. And I remember seeing a list of influencers, social media influencers that were recommended that we all follow. Do you remember this list? Uh, a while back. I'm not, I don't yeah. think it was the Forbes one, but something else. Yeah, it was, you were on it and I remember following you. Now I am ashamed to admit that when I went into Twitter this morning to tag you at some point in my journey, I unfollowed you, but that doesn't mean that I unfollowed you, Mark. I have to admit that I was doing an on a follow unfollow strategy mm. for years which so many entrepreneurs do. And I'm not going to ask you if you ever did that, but I was doing this follow unfollow strategy. So I just don't want you to be offended. It might've been like unfollow through my tool, but I am so happy to have you here. Listeners, you won't even believe how much Mark has inspired my business. And while we're not going to focus on it, because I think there's so many other better things to focus on, Mark has Mark is not as aged as I am. I'm just going to put it that way, okay? We don't have to put a number on it unless you want to, Mark. <laughs> but <laughs> the amount that he has accomplished in his young years 
blows me away. And Mark, sometimes I just want to send my 14 and 17 year old to you so that you can rub off on them and be a really awesome influence. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, seriously, I don't know what you were doing at 17, but I know it's not what my 17 year old does, which is get home from school, launch Steam and Discord and play video games. I mean, weren't you writing a book, hosting a (laughs) podcast, speaking from stage at 17? Yeah, something like that. So how did you get started? Where did the influence come from? Uh, This started just as like a hobby. Uh, So I wrote a blog about the Boston Red Sox. Um, I guess depending on when this interview gets published, who knows what the news is on them. But I did write a blog about the Red Sox. I'm still a dedicated fan. And uh, pretty much what ended up happening is that evolved into content marketing because I wanted to figure out how do I get more traffic to this blog And then that turned into my love for the topic that turned into how can I help others grow their visibility and gain revenue. So that's how I got started. And that evolved into three podcasts, 20 something books and a lot more growth from there. Jeez. I mean, I just want to praise you because how many events have we been at together now? Like three? Uh, Two or three. Two or three. And I had no idea that in the midst of attending those events, you were also working on your college degree. You were also writing books. You were also hosting your podcast. You were also speaking from the stage. I mean, I work with clients all the time and I I have to, let's just put myself in the category of my clients too, where I want them to cut the excuses, stop making excuses and start making progress. And sometimes it's so hard. I've finally kicked the excuses out, but there are those days when I'm just flat out exhausted. How do you, how did you manage? And I know you've since graduated, but how do you manage to do it all without depleting your energy and just yeah, and depleting your your self care? I mean, that's a really great question because you there's usually two different ways people view it. You know, you do just enough work to get by or you do so much work, but then you end up drained. You really sacrifice your body to get to your income goal finish line. But uh, the way that you really have to approach it is get a lot more intentional with how you spend your time. So, you know, everyone has their version of break because you can't be working nonstop just because, you know, your energy is going to get depleted. You lose focus if you overwork. So my version of break is to run, to exercise. So I'm only doing things that are going to, that are either the work itself or something that is going to enhance me. So exercise or spend time with my family. That's really all there is to it when it comes to break. And, you know, there's TV, there's other things like that, but I really cut those out so I could solely focus my time on the business and things that are going to enhance me, things that... I look at a week later, see how my day played out, and I'm happy with how it all came out. So with the exercise, like it gives you energy, like eating the right foods, it gives you energy. So we're working on a, you know, at the start of the day, we're at our peak energy, and then that energy slowly diminishes until the end of the day. That's just how it works. But there are ways to increase your energy, like what I've just mentioned, instead of doing things that like the version of taking a break is just draining yourself even more. And if you are watching TV or if you are like looking at a, like a phone screen, 
you're not really getting the break. Your mind is still in work mode because you're still looking at that screen, especially if you're just scrolling through Facebook on your computer, which is the same one you use to work. I love that you're bringing this all up. And I must admit, because you know how fully transparent I am, I made myself a promise this year that I was going to exercise five days a week. In full transparency, I rode my bike two weeks ago. We're on day 16, folks, okay, (laughs) Um, of the year. I rode my bike two weeks ago. And then yesterday morning, for some reason, I woke up extremely early for me. And I decided, okay, I'm going to get on it. About 15 minutes in, I wanted to quit. I'm just, I was like, heck with this. But I just kept on pushing because one of my words, well, my three primary words for this year are faith, family, and focus. But then I have a, a side word that's consistency. And I realized if I'm going to be consistent with all my goals, I need to be consistent with all my goals. And if I give up halfway through the time that I committed to myself, that's not showing myself anything. So I push through. I've learned in these last two days. Oh, and I did it again this morning. I learned yesterday, however, that riding my bike without music bores the heck out of me. The music <laughs> keeps me going. I was trying to do it while reading. And every two seconds, I was looking up at the clock to see how much time I had left. Is there a point, I'm just asking out of my curiosity, is there a point when this is actually going to become enjoyable? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as you do it more often, it's more enjoyable and it depends on the type of pace. Like for me, like running a mile all out, like it's enjoyable to the end time, but in the process, it's not enjoyable. It's just one of those things where uh, it depends on what you're trying to do. Like if you uh, just go for like a casual pace and you build up, that casual pace does become enjoyable over time. Okay, thank you. That's what I needed to hear this morning. Because I actually, so my faith is really important to me, as you heard, one of my words is faith for this year. And I did actually make a promise to God this morning that I'm going to be consistently writing. I actually told him every day. I told him December 2nd of 2019 that I was giving up alcohol. Mark, I can't even tell you how hard it has been to give up alcohol. Some days I just want to drink a whole aquarium f- full of margarita. I have five kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I've stuck with that now for seven weeks. That's awesome. And have been drinking. I mean, I, I was not an alcoholic. I just need to put this out there. But once a week, a good margarita. And I thought that that was my stress relief. But I've also realized that going into this year that there are so many side effects of stress, namely, and one of our mutual connections actually told me this, that increased stress increases your cortisol, which can increase your weight and produce so many other side effects to your health. And I had been joking with her. I don't remember if I just said her name, Debbie Adea. I had told her that I felt like my stress had an appetite of its own. I mean, you're stick thin. So I wonder if you've ever had this experience with cortisol, but I noticed that in 2019, I was eating less and gaining more. Listeners, it's a real thing. Stress leads to more cortisol, which can lead more weight gain. And it's not nice. Yeah, it's a bad cycle. Yeah. Going back to what I was talking about with my kids, though, my husband is a video game designer. And 
I don't know if you even know this, Mark, that when we started dating, he was surprised that I had a game that he played on his computer. And I have been a gamer, but I set myself now daily goals. When I reach my goal, if I choose to play, I can play, but I will not play until I reach my daily productivity goals. So I have my prioritized purposeful action list. And until I hit a minimum of three of those checked off, then I have not earned game time. And that has really kept me going. Do you set your running into a, a fit a fixed time schedule in your day? I usually don't. I, I've tried doing that. And for me, it's just more of, I would rather run when it feels like it makes the most sense. Like I can definitely see myself running after this interview because it makes the most sense. But if I'm deep in work, I'd rather be working. And at the same time, like I want to make sure I run before it gets dark out. So uh, for each day, like I know what I'm supposed to go out and do. And then I just frame the running at some point that makes the most sense around like eating and day and work schedule. I love that. And for me, riding the bike first thing in the morning before the kids wakes up makes the most sense. Listeners, please do not feel pressured to listen to the advice of all the gurus out there who tell you when you need to do things. You need to listen to your own body and know your own productivity and know your peak creative times to be able to figure that schedule out for yourself. When is your peak creative time? Do you have one? Uh, I've actually figured out that my peak uh, creative time really depends on what it is that I'm doing. So in the morning, that is my peak time to write. But in the evening is my peak time to like do videos. And any time past midnight is a good time for me to be coming up with new ideas and thinking more creatively about like overall stuff. So I don't have too many post midnight days because then that would affect the writing. But if I do want to, you know, come up with a lot more creative ideas for my business and stuff like that, I do stay up past midnight to map some things out. So sometimes it's not a matter of at this time, I'm the most creative. It's like, I'm the most creative doing this at this time. I'm the most creative doing that at that time. And really being able to pay more attention to yourself and reflect allows you to figure out those answers for yourself. See, here's the perfect example. How I just said, don't listen to what the gurus tell you is the perfect time for everything. Because my peak time for videos is first thing in the morning when I get into my office. And my peak time for writing is usually after the kids go to bed. Because then I have all the ideas from the day just coursing through my body and I can hear them and I start seeing how they all fit together. I love that. Yeah. And the, the past midnight thing, I must admit I am a night owl, but I'm, I also do like waking up early. I love the morning hours before the rest of the house gets up. Yeah, those it's are like the hours. only quiet time in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to your, your Red Sox blog, how did you get the idea to start that? Uh, that was more of a hobby thing. It was, uh, my mom kind of pushed me in that direction because I was just looking for something to do. And, you know, that was the idea that really popped up. So, uh, like, I can't really say, like, I was passionately searching this out. There was a part of me that always wanted to be an author. Uh, but again, it wasn't like I was uh, searching for this because, you know, at the time I'm really young. So, you think that, you know, you have to get a college degree and get out there before you can really pursue your career. So 
Uh, that's pretty much how it started for me. You touched on something interesting there. I mean, you did just graduate from college, but you already have a career. What was your intention? And I'm curious because of the fact that I have two teenagers. What was your intention behind going to college? Well, part of it was that I did D1 for a bit running, but I also like I wanted to go to college, not just to, you know, pass, get good grades, stuff like that. I wanted to like, because, you know, college is a really big investment. So I wanted to go into college and be able to learn some things that I would not naturally pursue on my own. So uh, like becoming a marketing major for me wouldn't have made any sense because I'm at the point where I host all these podcasts. If I don't know something, I just find an expert who knows what I don't know. And I interview that expert. But I decided to major in finance because that's something that I was a little weaker in uh, before I went to college. And uh, majoring in that allowed me to learn more about finance that I know now. It allowed me to do more research to learn beyond the classroom. And uh, the classroom like really helps you with uh, figuring out like what are the principles, what are the core concepts, and then you can choose to go deeper on your own. But uh, I think it's troubling if you go to college just because society wants you to go to college and you don't really have a plan for what you want to do in there because that is a very high investment. And unfortunately, people don't think about that type of investment until they're out of college and they can't go back and take certain classes that can help them in certain areas of their life. I'm into that. I mean, I'm 40 and I'm still paying for college. But I also, I went to college because it was what was expected. And I chose a career because it looked glamorous. And it was only after I was out in the real world and paying for those student loans that I realized, oh my gosh. No do-overs. Yeah. I don't really, I, I don't want to be doing this. To the listener who's listening for the first time, I I went to one of the top art schools in the country. I will I don't even want to imagine how many more years I'll be paying for that for those student loans. And I got a degree in interior architecture, but I realized that I mean, if you were to look at my house today, you would wonder where any sign of Kim having been an interior architect is evident. And interior architecture is very similar. I mean, it's basically interior design. There is no sign of interior design in my house. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. I I would rather be comfortable than have a $20,000 couch that my kids will promptly spill Kool-Aid on. You said earlier 20 books. You've written 20 books? Uh, Yes, over 20. How do you control your flow of ideas? Because you sound like one... And you and I have never talked about this. Who has a regular flow of ideas? How do you control what you're going to focus writing on right now versus what has to wait? So before I write any book, I'll do research to see if it's a popular keyword, to see if it's going to be something people want. So uh, when I was writing my first few books, I would write whatever came to mind and whatever I felt like writing. The problem is that there would be some of those books that wouldn't do very well because I didn't do my research to see if this was going to be a book people would actually want. So uh, but I have different ideas. I check them to see if they are you know, popular enough for me to 
decide to write them because there are some topics that I could write about, but they aren't popular. They wouldn't have the type of impact I would want them to have. So with that short list, then I just pick which one I'm going to start with and I don't pursue any other book idea until I finish writing that one book. Now, sometimes what I will do is I will record a video on a topic related to book number two and then I will have that video transcribed. So that's like thousands of extra words that I have all ready to go for book number two when I am ready to work on it. What do you use to write your book? Books? I just use basic like pages and stuff like that for writing the books. I use otter.ai for transcribing any of my videos to give me the text version of the video. Okay. I am using Scrivener right now to write my book. Great tool. Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. I know I just need to go to YouTube. I don't know it. I just know it's a great tool. It, it is. It's amazing. I love that no matter... Be, my book is Chronic Idea Disorder, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Overcoming Idea Overwhelm. And what happens as I'm writing is that I come up with a, an idea that I know needs to go somewhere in the book, but I'm not sure quite where it's going to go yet. So I write a variety of I'm going to call them chapters for lack of a better word right now, but I don't know where they're going to go in the flow quite yet. And Scrivener makes it so easy to drag and drop the flow around so that in the end, I will have a cohesive book. I just don't know what it looks like yet. And I love that. I love what you said also about sticking with one idea through to 100%. Have you always been like that or is that something you needed to learn? Uh, I'd say that's something that I needed to learn. I mean, I've had like narrow focus where if I was like pursuing something, I would strictly stick with that. But, you know, you even have like, you know, different distractions can pop up for anyone. So I'd say for all of us, it's something we have to learn, especially uh, in today's digital world where distractions are very rampant and you have to be very conscious and intentional just to remove some of those distractions. One of our mutual connections, Molly Mahoney, introduced me to the Facebook uh, eradicator, newsfeed eradicator. And I can't even tell you how many distractions that has eliminated from my day. If I want to go in and see what people are posting, I need to go on my smartphone or else I have to, if I go on my desktop, I have to specifically go to that person's profile to see what they've recently posted. And unlike a lot of the entrepreneurial community, especially in the US, I am not tied to my phone. I mean, most days my kids have my phone somewhere and it has likely died and I need to figure out which couch cushions it's stuck in. But I am not tied to it. So when I go on onto my desktop though and go into Facebook, I am not seeing anything except for the quote of the day, which is absolutely amazing. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free, short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. 
I want to go to what you said about keywords. I do understand the value and I'm not picking on you here. I just have a differing opinion. I do understand the value of looking up the quantity of searches on base on keywords. But at what point do you come into this? How do you stay passionate in what you're writing when when the, I know what I'm trying to say, I just don't know how to say it. When the significance of the keyword is so important, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, I could pick like, let's say, I'll throw paleo out there because that's like, I feel like that's a really popular keyword, especially recently. But I'm, I'm never gonna do videos or write books about paleo. I mean, uh, for like the self-publishing space, you hear about people who they hire ghost writers to write about a certain book based around the keyword or uh, you hear about people coming out with a lot of no content books which are pretty much just workbooks like generic but all you really do is you change it so instead of like writing about something you're passionate about you say okay paleo workbook because now there are people if your listeners any of them are passionate about paleo like that's you but that's not me that's not the type of thing I would cover so instead I look for things around digital marketing which is my actual thing content marketing that I enjoy talking about so it's a matter of figuring out what your broad niche is and then getting a little more narrow to find the keywords that make the most sense because I'm all down for doing keyword research and figuring out what makes the most sense I am not down for writing about something or creating a video about something just because the keywords tell me to and I do not care about that topic or I just don't know enough information about like I'm not gonna read a ton of books just so I'm an expert on a topic and I could do videos on it so you do have to find your different mix but keyword research will help you so that maybe for instance blogging tips is a better keyword than blog strategies so that's some of the ways Mm -hmm. I use the keyword research okay that's awesome so you already know what you're passionate about you're not using the keywords to set your topic but you're allowing the keywords to help you define your titles Exactly. It's inspiration for the topic, but I know the uh, pool that I'm in. Okay. Fabulous. And it's so fascinating what you were just talking about with paleo too. I remember listening to a few podcasts where, and there's a number of people who have done this, where they were looking up the the trending keywords, looking to see what the, the market saturation was. And then they would create a blog if the market saturation was low. Um, even hiring people to write the articles for those blogs so that they could in turn start selling ads on it or, or, um, you know, linking to an Amazon shop where they would sell related topics. And some of these top, uh, some of these keywords that they ended up building blogs off of, they weren't even passionate about. They just saw the dollar signs and for a crazy hot minute, that idea struck my head and I was like, oh, I should totally do that. Thankfully for, I have chronic idea disorder and that idea quickly passed. And I'm so glad it did because I found that staying true to me and my passions has has um, proved to be far more lucrative than doing things just because I can. I mean, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Yeah, that's really great advice. I want to share with listeners that I recently read your book and you know I read it because I mean I've shared with you the progress that I've been making. I read Mark's 
YouTube Decoded. Let me make sure. I, that's the right title, right? Yeah, you got it. I forgot to pull it off my shelf before I said that. And Mark does cover keywords in the book. I read the book and you'll see what I'm talking about. But one of the biggest things that made an impact for me was some of the simple tips. And Mark, you already know this because I was showing you, but I was putting up YouTube videos and putting up a an image that was all words, color blocks and words for my YouTube videos. And then thanks to Mark's advice in the book, I started putting a picture of me on my thumbnails. And the increase in views is mind-blowing. And I'm not talking thousands. I'm not even talking hundreds of views at this point. Do I hope that it will grow into that? By all means, yes, I hope it will grow into that. But when a video with only color blocks and text got two views, now I see a a video with a thumbnail with a picture of me on it that gets 50-something views. It's it's mind-blowing. How did you discover, I mean, I, I know from your book that you did a lot of testing to see what worked and what didn't, but was that just another one of those examples you tested to see what thumbnails worked the best? Uh, I tested different things to see what would work the best, like based on what thumbnails I would use, like including a picture of me, what the background's going to look like. So there are a lot of different variables to test thumbnails. And I was doing a bunch of that on my own, but I did bring in a YouTube coach to help me out even more because like he showed me things that I wasn't seeing properly. And then that helped me to get better results from my thumbnails, from my titles and from my retention rate. I do have a curious or a question about the testing. I have clients who want to test, want to see if something, let's just say on a landing page would work better, but rather than change one element at a time and see if the results improve, they change a whole bunch. So when you say that you were testing, were you using the same exact video and changing a thumbnail or were you testing it on a different video? I'm just curious and I don't want to pick on you. I only test thumbnail styles because if you upload like the duplicate video, that's going to hurt you. So I thought so. So that's why I was curious. Yeah. So like a really like sometimes it's like more things than others that I try to experiment with uh, just because I want to get a variety of thumbnail styles out there and then I could play with them later. But the best example is I came out with two videos, one of them, how to make a hundred thousand per year in dividends, like the math behind it. And then another one, the math behind making $100,000 per year with books. And in those thumbnails, it's all the same, except the dividend one has money in the background and the book one has like a bunch of books in the background. So sometimes I even do something just like that where I will only change the background or I will only change the picture of myself. So, I mean, you do change other things like the title and you had to change a little stuff like the text in a thumbnail to reflect dividends versus books. But in that thumbnail, I literally just changed the background. Another thing which I learned out of the book was, and I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me, but besides that I just hadn't heard it before, was asking people to like, comment, and subscribe. I mean, I've seen it on so many videos. I, my husband watches YouTube all the time and I hear his people say it. But it had never occurred to me, yeah, they do that on purpose. You know, there's a there's a purpose behind asking them to do it. And a lot of people, myself included, don't think 
to like and comment on a video or subscribe to the channel until the host asks me to. Same with podcasts. It doesn't occur to me sometimes to go over to Apple Podcasts and uh, leave a rating and review. But the moment that a host says it, yeah, I'll go leave a rating and review. By the way, listeners, <laughs> when this episode is done, go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review both Mark and my podcast. And there will be uh, links in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp. 639. Complete side topic, Mark. What would you do about episode 666? Would you skip it or record it? Uh, I would just record it. I mean, I just feel like it gives you the continuity. And yeah. um, I'm still debating that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been troubling my mind for quite some time and it's getting very close. So Listeners, that, that episode won't be going out for a few months, but I think I might actually turn it into a blooper episode. I haven't done a solo episode on the podcast for nearly a year now. I've been taking those to YouTube. Yes, listeners, go over to YouTube, subscribe to my channel, and you will find a whole lot of the content that used to be on the podcast over there. But maybe that's what I'll do with it. That way, no guest has to feel like they're cursed with episode 666. <laughs> I don't have any problem taking that fall myself. What are you most excited about? And I'm just, I am going to timestamp this, but I know that this could be relevant in the future. But what are you most excited about in 2020? I'd say the thing I'm most excited about is being able to see what I could do. Like, because you mentioned college and we talked a little bit about that. Like, this is my first like full-time year. So I'm excited to see what I'm able to do with all this extra time to expand my business and do all the different things. Like running is also like a big thing for me because I'm running marathons. I want to qualify for Boston, all those other big ones. Uh, but I'm very excited to see what I'm going to do with the first full-time year. For some reason, I thought you were in Connecticut. Are you in Connecticut or in Massachusetts? I'm in New York. Uh, but You're in New York. Okay. Yeah, Boston's I'm, like the oldest marathon, but New York City Marathon, I obviously like that's a big one too. Okay. Well, that just puts a lot of stuff in perspective for me. Now, what was it like? And I just have to ask this question because I'm so curious. Did your classmates have any idea what your social media reach was? Like, did that ever come out during your time in college? Uh, it was never something I would say it would always be something that was leaked, but eventually they would figure out my numbers and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. And the reason I asked that listeners is what do you have like 400,000 plus on Twitter right now? Yeah. On Twitter, I'm like for 70,000 something. Jeez. And I thought I had a lot at like 20 something thousand. I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I am thrilled with 20,000. I, the fact that I have anybody more than just my mother and my husband following me is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, are you an only child? Uh, uh, no, my brother. Okay. And is he an entrepreneur as well? Yes, he is. Older or younger? Uh, a little older than me. Okay. So is it in your whole family split? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've all had entrepreneurial ambitions at different points. I mean, my mom's still an entrepreneur. My dad has an, like, he did some entrepreneurial stuff uh, as well. So it, it's very much uh, a big background of the family. 
I love that. And I, my 17 year old is taking his ACTs and his PSATs right now. And Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And he's, he did really well at his PSATs. I'm thrilled. Like he beat my scores for verbal and math and I, I was quite happy with mine. Um, but he's not, well, not a, but he's also getting the, the emails from colleges, you know, and he received one from Brown the other day and he got all stoked. And I was like, I feel bad even admitting this, that I did this, but I was like, and I won't, I won't share my kids' names anymore, but I said, sweetie, just so you know, you are on an email list. <laughs> he says, what do you mean? I was like, well, they have a database of all the kids who are going to be graduating college in the next couple of years. So please don't get your hopes up if that's where you want to go if you don't get in. Like, I, don't, I want my kids to shoot for the goals by all means. If that's what you want, you go get it but I don't want him to think that this was an individualized email just for him. Right. I get the idea. Yeah. But he, it was amazing to me though, that I actually had to explain an email list to him because I don't think he understands what I do day in and day out. I mean, I'm building funnels. I understand that, you know, they didn't have a funnel. They didn't collect his name from a pop-up on their website. They got it from some big high schoolers database, but I don't think a lot of us often give thought to where these databases come from. I mean, I got an email this morning from Kroger, which is my local grocery. And it went through my mind, huh? I remember when I gave them my email address when I signed up for my shopper's card. And you don't really think about those things in the moment, but it really is, it's genius. And it's interesting to see how it's evolved. I was about to say something and now I guess I have to say it since I I said I was about to say it. Since I was your age. I mean, there was no email marketing. Well, it was the start of it when I was your age. When I, yeah. It's just interesting to see. Mark, I grew up in a time when AOL was still dial-up and the fastest internet speed that we could get was 26.8K. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't have Ethernet. We had to use our phone line. So if anybody called in, they got a busy signal. I can't even imagine getting a busy signal. I don't remember the last time I heard one. When's the last time you heard a busy signal? Uh, I don't think I've ever heard one. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Listeners, I would love to know when the last time you heard a busy signal was. Yeah. Mark, what do you feel makes good marketing? I think it's just being connected with all the different things you're doing because it's really easy to just create, 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 and not really think about how does this all add up. So I think good marketing is providing value, building trust, but in the areas that match up with your products. Like um, my book, like YouTube Decoded, for instance, one of the things I do is I share YouTube advice and that it's not just, oh, like I'm getting to know, like trust Mark. It's I'm getting to know, like trust Mark and what he has to say about YouTube. So if you're really able to connect your free content with your opt-in to get people on your email list with the thing that you want to offer, having all those things connected and then getting people to talk about you because you know they know, like, and trust you, to me, that's what a good marketing looks like. 
What do you want to be known as? Uh, my motto again and again, if you guys have heard me on other shows, age is not a limit to success. So I want to be known as the guy who did a ton of work, who really showed to other young people around the world that it is possible to follow your dreams. It's one of those like, look at me, I'm doing it. You can do it too. Uh, regardless of what people say, because I had like, you know, people were talking about, um, you know, my age and stuff like that, especially when I first started. But um, yeah, I mean, that that would be the thing that I would want to be known for. But obviously, like you want to be known as like the kind person and stuff like that, which is stuff I want to be known for too. Like, I don't want to be like, this guy worked hard until his last day. But I do want to be known as that like example for young people who maybe they feel like it's too early for them to pursue their dreams. I want to tell them they can do it now. You know, you've actually got me thinking, and I don't know if they're in different uh, leagues. I, okay, I haven't been following baseball, football, any sport really in the last decade. Just need to put it out there. <laughs> but my younger brother started a blog about the Blue Jays. Hmm. We grew up in Western New York. I don't know if you know that. I grew up outside of Rochester. And, oh, wow. I've been yeah. to Rochester a few times. Yeah, and my my father and my brother would often go up to Toronto and watch the Blue, Bla- Blue Jays play. And my brother got extremely passionate to the point that he actually wanted to go get his master's degree in Toronto just so he wow. could be closer. Yeah, <laughs> but um, he didn't go up there. I think he actually went down to Massachusetts of all irony. <laughs> and um, yeah, but he started a blog and I know he's been working for years on a book about the history of the Blue Jays. So I think I, I mean, I know they're different teams. I don't know if they're rivals. I don't know any of that. No, Blue uh, Red Sox and the Yankees, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A big one. Okay. Yeah. So when I lived outside of New York City, when I started my career in interior architecture, was right when Derek Jeter was starting to play for the Yankees. If that puts any perspective on that timeline. And I remember, I know the Yankees have been to multiple World Series since, but I remember that, year, well, it was 2001. They were in the World Series that year. Um, I was going to say something. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast where you get brain farts. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. You are, a, you are obviously a multi-passionate entrepreneur like I am. How do you keep yourself from spreading too thin? Because from what I know about you, you support entrepreneurs with their podcasts, with their becoming an author, with their YouTube, with their speaking. Am I right on those? Yes. So how do you, how do you keep yourself from spreading too thin and maintain your expertness? I'm making up words now in those fields. I mean, that's a really great insight because you can branch into all these different areas of like what it is to become an influencer. There's so many things to that. And then, you know, you do have those scenarios where you do overstretch. And I've definitely been guilty of that a few times, but I'd say that what's been working for me a lot now, and it allows me to do all these different things without feeling like I'm overstretched is to continue to put out products, things like that, but then let the advertising, uh, do most of the marketing for me. So for my books on Amazon, a lot of the marketing is now through Amazon ads. So now instead of having to do an intense like book promotion for each of my books, I now run Amazon ads. 
And it won't be too long before I've got Facebook ads, maybe even Google ads set up where I will be doing that for my landing pages. So it's, to me, it's more about like uh, figuring out what are the things I can use ads for to scale and to automate so I don't have to think about the marketing. And then I could just go into create, 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 and then just do some initial marketing to my email list. So it's really just like cutting down a number of things I have to continuously do repetitively and being able to let advertising get me my audience. So I'm like not there yet with the Facebook ads because uh, that's just the way it is. But um, like I've seen it with the Amazon ads and I'm going to be exploring all the other ad options. So I don't have to worry too much about marketing every single thing I create and then I can only focus on marketing a few things. I can't remember. I think this was a message I sent to you a few weeks ago. Um, listeners, I shoot random ideas that I come across to Mark once in a while. <laughs> Full disclosure. But I think I'm going to be setting this up in my business shortly. Mark, I'm a, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur myself and I'm working my way out of the just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I mean, up on my website right now, there are at least nine opt-ins. Listeners, there might not be nine opt-ins up there by the time this episode is released because I've become really clear on what I specialize in and I'm working on cutting that down to three. I really just want to have them finished by the time I take down the others. So someday in 2020, there will only be three different options. One for funnels, one for the Work Smarter Not Harder Challenge, and one for my next level tracker sheet, which goes right with the Work Smarter Not Harder. But Mark, what I was realizing, and then I'll go back to the Facebook ads, was that I was creating lead magnets just because I could do something and I had no funnel to back them up. And then I wasn't making any money, you know, off that lead magnet. I had no email, no, you know, no email sequence, no nothing. So I realized I was putting a lot of energy into creating content that was a spur of the moment idea and then had nothing, no substance on the back end. I mean, an exception, I would have to say, is the Pinterest course, but that's come out of people realizing that I'm doing something there. But I've also realized I don't want to become known as a Pinterest expert. And it's hard sometimes. I mean, I would have to imagine that this could be the same for you sometimes. What you become known as is not necessarily what you want to be known as. But anyway, okay, so going back to the Facebook ads, one of the things that I realized is that when people opt in and they get to my thank you page, I can be targeting them with an ad on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. Hey, you just signed up for, how about following me over here so you find out about future content? And that would cut down my ad spend so much while also increasing my followers, which would increase my visibility because you would think that there would be more engagement on my posts. So I'm like, yes, this is going to be the ticket. I just need to get it set up. But that is not my focus right now. And really getting clear on what my focus right now is and not trying to do everything has been such a business changer. Mark, what is one piece of information that you think would be the most helpful for our listeners today? I know that's such a big question. Yeah, I mean, I would say the big thing for me and for everyone listening is to, if you want to 
go, go full time with your work. You really have to think of it like a business. I mean, I mentioned I had a YouTube coach earlier. I've also invested in a podcast coach. I've invested in Kim. I've invested in events and different things like that. I've invested in assistance. So if you do want this, like your work to be your full-time thing, it is something you have to invest in with your time, but also with your money to get the uh, necessary knowledge you need to delegate some of the different tasks around you so you could focus on uh, the high impact activities rather than just the things that take up space. So that'll be my recommendation for everyone. I love that you said that. For years, I had not invested in my business how I should because I thought I could do it all alone. And I think there's too many entrepreneurs who do just that. They think they can go at it alone and then they hold themselves back in the process. Mark, where can listeners find you online, connect and learn more about what you do and the products and services you offer? Uh, so if you just like type my name, Mark DeBerry, you'll find me on different places. I'm doing a lot more stuff on YouTube. So definitely, uh, and Amazon because that's where all my books are. Uh, but I do want to give you guys a gift. I help people launch, grow, monetize their podcasts. And I do that from a coaching capacity, but I recently came out with a mini training course, five days to launching your very own podcast. And being on your way to building your authority platform. So the link to that is markgaberry.com, markc.com slash five-day podcast launch, all one word, so you guys can figure out how to launch a podcast in five days or less. I accidentally muted myself. There's one for the blooper reel. (laughs) 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 Listeners, I know that was an earful, but you can head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP639. And that link will be in the show notes. Mark, thank you as always for being inspiring, enlightening, and educating. Educating? (laughs) What was I trying to say there? Another Uh, one for the blooper reel, but this one's going to stay in. I heard enlightening, inspiring, and educating. Is that the right word? Educating? I, I, I meant that, that, that will make it good. <laughs> okay, that, that works for me too. <laughs> and thank you for your friendship and support. Like it, it, it's amazing. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Do you have one last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? Uh, I would just say that when it comes to your goals, I mean, you could say that this, this and that are stopping you. But saying this, this, and that are stopping you doesn't change that the goal is not done. So I would just think more of how can you change the situation instead of complain about the situation. I'm not trying to say that people listening are complainers, but I do feel like we all like look for ways to cushion the blow of us not accomplishing the goal and try to make ourselves feel a little better. I would remove the cushion and just acknowledge that like, you know, you did not do this goal. And then instead of crying about it, figure out how you can change yourself, have that transformation so you do get the goal accomplished and it helps you with future goals as well. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.